you know, it's going to be hard to get started. I gave you guys like twice as many notes as I usually do. I guess you have homework, but there's not going to be any checkup. I graduate from high school already. <laughs> I don't do homework. Well, this isn't the final. This is the beginning, all right? <laughs> all right. Well, one of the things that, you know, we've been talking about, we keep on defining stuff, you know, and I think it was week two we talked about God's love at 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Um, just last week we had Pastor Ken here. He was talking about kingdoms, about, you know, about the kingdom of God, jurisdiction, legalities, um, really what we have the right to do in Jesus' name and, and the rules that we play by as Christians. But we defined the kingdom when we started out, Romans 4, 17 and 18, it said the kingdom is righteousness, peace, Joy. We define that kingdom. And tonight, when I was here in all week, and I and I, to be honest with you, my original plan was to talk more about prayer tonight. But what I heard all week long, and you can ask Victoria, I sat down Monday and tried to put notes together, and nothing would come out. When I woke up Tuesday morning, it was ready to come forth. And so, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to really press into what is faith. What is righteousness and what does it look like when that is what we live out? Because what we have to understand is faith looks like something. Faith is something. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Hebrews 11.6, I think this is the first one you guys have. Hopefully I put it on. But Hebrews 11.6, and Hebrews 11, of course, is like the faith chapter. We get the definition of faith out of it. We walk through, um, you know, basically... The Faith Hall of Fame from you know from Abel down and and we see what faith is defined through them. And Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, when I when I shared with you guys a little bit of my background and, and coming out of that really just religion, you know, and doing it just for appearance sake, and I came out of that so empty, and what was missing, and why why I couldn't have that impact in my life was that there was no faith there, it was all head knowledge, it was all theology, it was, it was all good intentions, but it was no faith, it was no relationship, but it's impossible to please him without faith, and when we look at the new covenant, and I know we started talking a lot about covenant last week. We're going to talk more about it this week. But when we look at the new covenant, what we realize is that we receive all of the new covenant by faith. Every, every benefit, every promise, we get it through faith. When we go back through the covenants of the Bible, right, and we have the Edemic covenant, that was the one that Pastor Ken talked about, so much last week, Genesis 1.28. So multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And that was that covenant between, between man and God. The problem as we go back through these old covenants is that it was between man and God. And when you have a covenant between man and God, what happens is man always ends up breaking it at some point. We had it right away with the, the Adamic covenant. We've come to the, to the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm, I'm just hitting the highlights. There's a, there's a covenant with Noah. There's a Davidic covenant. There's, 
many covenants in the Bible. When we go to that Abrahamic covenant, and the covenant is to, to build his seed into many nations, right? That they would be countless, like the, the sea or the sand on the seashore. And he concludes that covenant with Abraham. He seals it in Abraham's blood through the circumcision. And when he does that, again, he's concluding it with Abraham. And what happens is just a couple generations later, it's not that God's promise was failing, but man was failing on his end of holding up the promise. Because it was, you know, if you worship me and if you stay pure, then I will bless you. Israel right away, they weren't living up to that, right? And we go into the Mosaic Law. We have the same thing, right? Do this and you'll prosper. But there was 613 laws there, and nobody could fulfill them all as they were written. And then we have the New Covenant. And really, what we understand is that Jesus came, and what Jesus does is he reverses the curse that was put on man because of Adam, and he restores the Adamic Covenant and puts it back in place. In fact, when you look at scriptures like Matthew 28, you can almost hear the language. It's almost identical. And he goes, fill the earth and subdue it, as to go and make disciples and fill the earth. It's, it's almost the same exact thing. It's changed because it's no longer my bloodline doing it. It's his bloodline doing it. Make sense to everybody? All right. He came to fulfill and to make better the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. Right? We read that over and over again in scriptures that he was the fulfillment of those covenants. When you look at the Abrahamic covenant, what did Abraham have? Abraham had the relationship with God. Abraham was a priest. He had relationship with God, but he didn't have the law to justify. Moses had the law to justify, but the law lacked the relationship that Abraham had. So Moses sat in that kingly place, right? And so they were both running parallel. One had the relationship, one had the law. But they needed Jesus to bring them together and perfect it and bring them back to what Adam had, which was to have the dual purpose of priest and king. Guys, all right? I, I feel like I might be losing you. you guys all right, all right. You said that just now. I automatically thought of um, in the order of Melchizedek. Exactly. Who is a high priest. And a king. Yeah. And... Most people would argue Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, I was just getting ready to say because no beginning, no end. Right. So on the cross, right, we have this new covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus who reverses the curse of Adam. And what he does is then by faith, what's he make available? He makes healing available, forgiveness available, salvation available. He allows us to be set free from captivity we're made righteous, whole, and holy. We're given peace and justified. I went through those really quick, because that's a whole lot. That changes everything about how we live. By faith. It's only by faith that that will change our life. 
Faith looks like something. I'm going to say that a few times tonight. Faith looks like something. If we would turn to Ephesians 2.8, I think I have that there. The night I got radically saved, and I told you guys I was coming out of that religious system, I'm seeing a therapist, like I, I'm, I'm on the borderline of a psychotic break. In fact, when the Holy Spirit touched me that night, I wasn't sure whether I had a psychotic break or not, except I felt the joy and a peace that I'd never known before. But I was still worried for a couple of days, just to be honest with you guys. All right? Thank you. Thank you so much. But when I prayed to him that night, and I gave my life back over to him, I said, you better, I just need you to show me why I'm still here. And I flipped open my Bible. It flipped open to Ephesians 2, and I wasn't even looking wasn't even looking for a scripture. I started reading in verse 8, and I read those three verses there. But verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. I had never, honestly, just speaking real plain to God, I never seen the word grace in a Bible before because even though it appears in every major translation out there, they had a special translation in what I came out of. And that word did not exist in their translation. And you want to know why grace wasn't in their translation? Because grace isn't just God's unmerited mercy on you. It's not just that you don't deserve the kindness he's bestowing on you. Grace is what gives you the power to step into what he has for you. Grace is the point of empowerment when you realize... You can't change your mind, or you can't change his mind about you. You can't make him love you anymore. You can't make him love you any less. Because even when you were at your worst, he still loved you. Because 2,000 years ago, he poured it out for you. But that reality, what's he say here? For by grace you have been saved through faith. I'm only saved if I believe I'm saved. Right? I mean, I believe. Believe me, I believe. But I'm only saved if I believe it. I'll only live it out and manifest a freedom if I believe it. We're going to go through a couple more here. We're going we're to look at this. But I want to go to an account here. I want to go to Acts 9. Have a, have a pretty bad offender here. we got Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, right? He just sat there and sanctioned the stoning of Stephen. The scriptures say he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I picture, I picture Paul as a production worker. Paul wanted to streamline things, right? He wanted to get it done as fast as possible. So what did he do? Hey, you guys give me the paperwork. That way I don't have to go through all this red tape and all. We can just get this done, get these Christians out of here. Look at this heretic problem solved real quick. He should have been on peace rate. (laughs) 
And we kick in here in Acts 9, verse 1. I'm going to read down through this, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Street, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard how... I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Paul's coming out of this encounter with Stephen. He's got this paperwork. He can go get things done really quick. And he's going to stamp out any who call themselves disciples of Jesus. Then he has this encounter with Jesus on the road. Got any King James people in here? Right? And I know it's I know it's spelled different. So before you correct me on this, I realize that. But there was a day when I was reading this account. And when it says they led him to a house on a street called Straight, on a road called Straight. And I saw it. What's the way to eternal life described by Jesus? Straight and narrow, right? You see, faith looks like something. Paul has this huge encounter with Jesus. He's wrecked. It says here that... I didn't even finish reading the account. We'll get there. Why don't we do that? We better do that right now. 17. It says, And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. Faith looks like something. Saul has this big encounter with Jesus. Now he's sitting in a house on a road called Straight. And what the Lord said to me is, too many of my people have had the big encounter with me, and now they're sitting in houses on the road called Straight. We're called to do more than sit in a church. We're called to do more than attend Bible studies. Here he is sitting in a house on the road called Straight. He's never making it through the gate with where he's at right there. He's sitting in a house. He needs Ananias to come and show him what to do. What's it say? Jesus tells him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Faith looks like something. What's Jesus telling Ananias there? For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Faith looks like something. And what happens, right? He had the big encounter. Now he's in a house on a road called Straight. And here comes Ananias. Now Ananias is probably trembling a little bit as he walks in. But he goes in, he lays his hands on him, he receives his sight. And what does it say there? At once he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, was strengthened. He spent some days with the disciples and immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues. Faith looks like something. He was moved to action. He knew he had to do something with what he had received. That's what each one of us is called to do. I'm not saying that each one is called to get up at a podium or a pulpit. I'm not saying that each one is meant to go out on the streets and evangelize on street corners. But you know what you can do is smile at somebody and hold the door for them. Maybe you're coming through a checkout line at Walmart and you say, you know, I just really want to tell you that Jesus loves you. I tell you something. Roy knows. <laughs> and you go through a checkout line and tell the cashier Jesus loves you. And you don't even have to say another word. If you walk out the door, just know that they just had to process what you told them. Sometimes it resonates right away, and they want to strike up a conversation. Sometimes they look at you kind of cross-eyed, and they're like, I don't know. But you know what? You just told them something without any kind of agenda at all, and it's the truth. That's right. You do that every time you go to Walmart, don't you? Not every time. <laughs> Jesse I'll tell you what, what I friends. use sometimes too is um, if if they if they're looking sad, which a lot of people are, you know, mean because they have no hope. But um, I tell them, no matter what you're going through, Jesus can and will help you. Come on, that's good. And then I will wait for a response. If I don't get any, I mean. Some of them are like, hmm. Gen- genuine interest is hard to is hard for people to hate on. They, they generally don't fight you too hard when you're just showing love. 
that's what Justin and I, when we go to Walmart, I, we talk to everybody and, you know, afterwards, have a great day. And they look at you so funny, especially when the hard time was a couple years ago. And at the checkout, we have three friends at the self-checkout. They're all Christians that work there. And uh, they all they all crowd around you and you have a good time with them. Yeah, hard time, man. <laughs> I remember that time, you know what I mean, trying to witness the people with a mask. Man, that ain't easy. But you can see, even though that mask, you know what I mean, you can only see from here up, You can, I can look and, and tell, man, that they're hurting. Yep. That's, it's all in the eyes. It is. Okay, I'll let you get back to that. No, you're fine. <laughs> when we go back to Ephesians, right, by grace you've been saved through faith. We have the example right here with Saul. He had to have faith. Can you imagine moving past what he had just done? But not only did he move past what he just did, but he didn't go to the street corner and preach to Christ. This is the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? They just got done stoning Stephen, and where does he go to preach? Right in the synagogue in front of all his old comrades, right? Boldness. Faith looks like something. Faith moves you to do stuff that you wouldn't normally do. Faith's the key to the whole new covenant. By faith, or through faith, you're saved by grace. How about healing? Turn back. Let's go to Mark. You guys got this one in paper. Let's do Mark 10. Let me use Mark. I'm going to use... Uh, then we're going to start at 46. This is uh, Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. And, and I, I used him um, for this example, but you know, over and over again in the gospel, you know, as Jesus is healing people, your faith has made you well. Just keep seeing that as uh, continually throughout the miracles. But 46 says, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on down the road. I'm going to read the first part of 11.1 there. Now, when they drew near... Jerusalem. There's so much in this account. The same way we saw with the account of Saul on the road to Damascus. I tell you, there's there's something huge here that's happening. And I saw this after Pastor Don was was, uh, and I know Sam's going to know what I'm talking about here. Pastor Don was teaching on the Good Samaritan, was representative as he traveled 
from the city of Jerusalem to the city of Jericho, right? And we talk about the city of Jericho and the city of Jerusalem. Here we have blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the roadside as Jesus is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. Now, why am I talking about these cities? When we look at Jericho, at the time of Jesus, Jericho was known as the city of the curse. In fact, if you go back to Joshua, right, when the walls of Jericho fall down, what does Joshua do? He curses the city, even generationally, anybody who would try to rebuild the city. It was known as the city of the curse. And we have Jesus, and he's traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. And we see Jerusalem, which literally translates Jerusalem, the city of peace. The city of wholeness, the city of completion. Shalom is just an all-encompassing word there. So we have Jesus traveling. He's going from the city of the curse to the city of peace and wholeness. And here on the road is blind Bartimaeus, which it says here, tells us here, means the son of Timaeus. Now, if you look up Timaeus, what do you see? It literally means honor. So we have a son of honor sitting alongside the road begging for alms. Somewhere between the city of the curse and the city of peace. And he's got this coat on. He hears that Jesus is coming. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Bartimaeus, this son of honor, knew that Jesus was coming. Somebody had been talking about what Jesus could do. And so Bartimaeus had faith that Jesus could do something for him. He starts crying out for him. He's got boldness. Faith looks like something. And so he's crying out for him. What are the people doing? Quiet. Don't bother. Can't you see we've got an important guy? Can you imagine this guy? He ain't never seen himself in a mirror. This guy's probably got dirt all over his face. You know what I mean? This guy looks like a down-and-out person. And he's there begging. They probably think he just wants whatever Jesus has. He's just begging. And so they're crying out. Or he's crying out. And they're trying to hush him. And what I love is what Jesus does here. Because... When you see Jesus' response here, this is grace. This is grace happening right here. As we see Jesus' response, what's he do? He doesn't call the blind man to him. He calls those who have been telling him to be quiet to call the blind man to him. You see, there's a time when people who have been trying to hush you will start to usher you. Sometimes your hushers become your ushers. And when that happens, right, here's what God does. There's, There's no mistake why anybody gets drawn and put into positions by God and it looks unlikely to people. God's going to put you where man thinks you could never be. Your haters come from your haters. Exactly. You, he's going he's to lift you up and put you where it doesn't make any sense to put you and the reason why he's going to do it is because when you're there and you're excelling in that position, it's glory and honor to him because everybody knows you couldn't do it on your own. Sometimes your hushers become your ushers. 
But let's go back to this code. Because what we see here, we have to understand about this code he's got. The Roman government literally issued a beggar a code. This was this was what gave him a legal right to be out there and beg for money to keep himself alive. Envision the situation. He's walking down this road. There's a huge crowd around him. These people really don't like him. They probably really don't like him now that Jesus just said, you better quit hushing him and usher him up here, right? These people didn't care about him 30 seconds before Jesus called for him. They ain't going (coughs) to care for him if they're not going to care for him if Jesus doesn't heal him. And what does he do? He takes off this coat, what gave him the legal right to be a beggar, the son of honor that had the legal right to beg. And he takes that coat and he falls it up and he pitches it. And he's got no idea where it is and you can bet that nobody was going to help him find it. Faith looks like something. It looks like a total abandonment. It looks like boldness. It looks like crying out as people are trying to hush you. Holy Ghost. He gets up to Jesus. We have accounts where Jesus makes mud and rubs it in people's eyes, you know, for them to see different things that, that happen. But, but all he simply says to him is, what do you want me to do for him? And he just says, your faith has made you well. And he becomes a follower. Faith looks like something. Immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus down the road. By faith we receive healing. I And I talk about healing, and I, and I walk on eggshells with this a little bit, only because this is where a lot of the church gets really stumbled and messed up. And if you want to see somebody get hurt feelings and offended, this is where it happens at. They go to an altar, they don't get what they think they should get, or it doesn't happen in the right way, and all of a sudden people are explaining it. Well, I don't know, I mean, maybe you got unforgiveness in your life. Maybe you need to get a little more faith. i got a book I can recommend to you. Maybe you should read some scriptures, sing some more worship songs. And... All that stuff happens, right? We've got to build faith for it. And we start explaining it away, why they didn't manifest the healing right there in the sec- in, in that moment, right? And all we're doing, I'm going to get in trouble here on my last night, all, all we're doing when we do that is sacrificing healing on the altar of our image. Go down here and look at Isaiah 53.5. I think I got that on your on your sheet. This is so powerful. I love it. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. These are all new covenant promises. And by his stripes we are healed. We all know that scripture. The same way you receive salvation, the same way you receive forgiveness, is the same way you receive healing. But I like it even better when we go to 1 Peter 2. Because we're reading Isaiah 53. That's the new covenant promise in the prophetic, right? But in 1 Peter 2, it changes just slightly. i got a couple of those verses listed there. 
we'll go ahead and read through the whole thing. First Peter 2, 21 through 25. And it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. Faith looks like something. That you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. Come on, this is the hard stuff right here, guys. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you, what do you, you guys see it? Were. Were healed. Past tense. Past tense. I was just going to say that. You we're going to get into this, and it already happened, right? We're gonna, I mean, we're going to we're going to open this up more as we get in. But I just want you guys to see this, and this is all by faith. But you were healed; your spirit's been made whole. All we're trying to do is get this earth suit to manifest the realities of heaven right now by faith. Faith. You guys still good? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's jump. I just want to hit this because we're going to go right into this. But right there at the end of 1 Peter 2, what's it say? To himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. And we're going to step in now. We're going to start talking about righteousness side by side with faith, okay? And so I have a couple scriptures listed there. This was being holy and righteous before God was what I had been missing for so much of my life. And it's like, I mean, I pulled like four scriptures here together for this class, but I could have pulled probably, probably dozens. It's, it's all over the New Testament. And it's like, how do you not see it? But I'd never seen through that lens. Um, we're going to talk about being justified and righteous. And really, you can almost use justified and righteous interchangeably. Um, justified, what I always hear people say is just as if I'd never sinned. And that's so true. When you're justified before God, it's just as if you'd never sinned. When you're made right before God, when you're righteous before God, justified. Galatians 3.11 there says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. That's quoting Habakkuk 2.4, which is down just below it. The just shall live by faith. You're only justified, you're only just as if you've never sinned through faith. Same way you're only saved, you're only forgiven, you're only healed by faith. The only way you'll bring it forth is if you believe it. Romans 5, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, right in God's sight by faith, not in our sight, and that's so important, because what does the enemy try to do? He's always trying to give you doubt. Exactly. He's always trying to cause doubt, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when we talk about stealing, I mean, listen, yeah, you can steal by armed robbery, but the devil doesn't go by armed robbery most of the time. He tries to defraud people. 
it's a lot easier to pick up your identity when you lay it down on the ground because you feel it's worthless. And that's what he does. That's what he tries to do. He always tries to bring you back to those times in your life when you're at your lowest. Always tries to bring you back to that. But the devil's a liar. Amen? Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. By faith, look at this. I mean, we're full of promises here by faith. You've been made right in His sight by faith. We have peace with Him by faith. We've been brought into a place of undeserved kindness by faith. Good stuff. All right, we got one more here. Uh, no, we got way more than one. But let's go to Second Corinthians. You guys all right? Huh? Yeah, we're good. All right. I had like double the notes tonight, double the scriptures. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I, I just want to take a minute here and talk about a couple of these phrases that, that we're going to read in Scripture over and over and over again. When you read righteousness, especially as it pertains from God to man, it's always in reference to God's will for man. When man when man has righteousness, when we're seeking his righteousness, we're seeking his will for the earth towards man. When you see the word godly as it pertains to man, it's always how we behave towards God. Righteousness is how we behave towards each other. Godliness is how we behave towards God. The other one that gets thrown around and confused a lot is iniquity. And it's not not something we have to draw the line in the sand about. But I want to point out, iniquity has everything to do with you using the precepts of God to defraud people and actually cause damage to them. That's why when you read Matthew 7, right, and he says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of iniquity, right? And when we read that scripture, what's he talking about? He's talking about born again, I mean, he's talking about people who are filled with God's spirit acting in a damaging way towards others. That's a call against against really religious spirits and, and, and people that are trying to defraud and cause harm to people. And it has everything to do with willful sin, but it's a bad heart that can never be changed once it's in there like that. Good? All right. I had to put that out there, because I I hear that one, and, and, like, there's way more to iniquity than just, like, willful sin. I mean, that's, like, a real evil place. I mean, mean, sometimes, you know, we don't want to be calling that on ourselves. We've got something we're trying to get rid of, and we can't get rid of. That's not It's like a reprobate mind. Right. Going back to 521, he says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become 
the righteousness of God. So it's God's will for mankind. When we become his righteousness, we become a living expression of his will towards the earth. Faith looks like something. We're supposed to look like something. When we be, I mean, think about this. Now we're going to go back to our promises we just talked about. When you become a living expression of his will for mankind, that means that you should look different, you should walk different, you should sound different. People, when they look at you, should see something that they can't see in themselves apart from Christ. Because you are loved, you are forgiven, you are made right, you've been made whole, you've been healed, you've been justified, you've been given access to him to have full relationship with him. You've been given back dominion. Everything has been restored and given back to you and made fuller by means of the Holy Spirit. When people look at you, faith should be evident. We become his righteousness when we when we walk that thing out. And we're called to be an expression of purpose. Let's back up here. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's let's go to 17. Okay? We started at the end and we're gonna let's let's start at verse 17 here. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then he goes on, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. But faith looks like something. Faith looks like us doing what? Letting God transform our minds so that we can look different, we can think different, we can act different. Behold, all things are new. All things. Now all things are of God. Come on, guys, this is this is good stuff. But here's what I want you to see. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Christ. We didn't even, you understand, we didn't even start it. We, we didn't start it. It was already, like his love was already so in action for us. Man didn't start, man didn't put a draw on heaven that got Jesus here. Heaven's heart was for the earth to bring it back into relationship with God in reconciling us and that was what that's what we've been given the ministry of reconciliation the same way that Christ is calling the world back to the Father the same way that the Father was calling the world back to himself through Christ is the same way each of us is called to call the world back to Christ back to the Father we're the we're the trickle-down effect that we're called to be out there, and it looks like a living expression of the righteousness of God when we become 
that that embodiment of the will of God walking around the earth. 